Hello and welcome to another edition of Troy Stories. I'm Adam Maya, and I'm a little bit under the weather, but it happens. This is important to me, and you're important to me, Kajuar. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, I got Kajuar Kanegar back in the house. We are going to talk about USC in Utah a little bit. Uh, talk about USC in Washington a little bit. And uh, a lot more, because there's always more going on with USC football. Anyway, looking forward to our show. Tajwar. Yeah. What's on your mind? This is going to be a fun game, one way or another. I'm pretty interested to watch it. Last week, I wasn't too excited, to be quite honest, and it ended up being exciting. So. Wait, why weren't you excited? I, I didn't think that it would be a blowout. I thought Utah would win, but I didn't think it would be a fun game to watch, per se. I thought it would be sloppy and separation would be there all throughout. Yeah. And it was a little sloppy at times. Yeah. But it did go back and forth enough to be interesting, and obviously USC did pull it out. I think it was fun. Fink was fun. I don't. I. We can get into Fink later. I have thoughts on that. That. I think we should get into Fink now. Okay, we can do that. Yeah. All right. What do you want to say? Well, about I mean, Fink? that was a story, and yeah, and I was with you. I thought that Utah would win that game. Uh, I thought that even before USC played BYU, and then Keegan goes down on the second play of the game, and I'm really thinking that that not that the game's over, but. Utah's going to win this football game. Right. I did not see Fink coming. Not that. I, okay, here's my thing. My, what I've been kind of confused by in the way that this game has been covered afterwards is a lot of people talking about how well Fink played. I don't think Fink played a very good game. Well, but according to PFF, yeah. highest graded quarterback I, for I couldn't at understand USC. That because... PFF's metric is supposed to take into account not just the you know the on-field the results. results. Uh-huh. It's supposed to take into account oh the decision making was yeah. that throw as good as it should have right. been? Did he pick the right throw? Yeah. And I think for more than half of the good throws in Fink's game last week, most of them were not good throws on paper. He got bailed out many many times by both Utah's DBs and Michael Pittman. By yeah, Utah's DBs misreading balls really badly, and then Pittman and St. Brown and Vaughn's making plays for him that were pretty freakish. Sure, yeah, it's all true. It's all. I think a lot of people realize that. In fact, I thought we might hear more of people calling for Fink over Slovis. Yeah, and I haven't really heard that. Right. It's more like okay, is Keegan coming back? Yeah. Which uh, as we record this Tuesday afternoon we do not know officially yet i don't think we're gonna know officially for a couple more days but my sources tell me that usc is operating under the assumption that he will not play they have to prepare that way which is a smart way to prepare but uh they're not confident right now that he'll play and and we, we don't know he could be cleared later in the week my feeling is that he probably won't practice and if you were to be involved at all, it would be you know later in the week. It'd be light, and and again, if you were cleared, and they felt good about his preparation and his engagement, then maybe they throw him out there, or maybe they have him like prepared to play if they want to bring him in. You know, maybe right. they don't start him. I could see a couple different scenarios going, given that it's a, a road game. Uh, they, they just came off of a, a tough road game. His first. Uh, it wasn't his finest hour, obviously. No. Uh, they they need to play well, and they 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 played well with Fink, and therefore, you know, kind of like what I thought they would do the year before uh, when they went to Corvallis. I thought that they would keep it going with with Jack Sears, and they didn't do that. Right. I think they might actually do it this time. Yeah, for now, especially because Slovis appears to have a concussion. That seems to be the consensus on what his injury is and it seems severe enough that he had to come back out with earplugs in when he came to watch the game in street clothes after coming out of the locker room which tells me at least a week I, d- I doubt yeah right we're still play. within the first week yeah. where with, with JT he'd already been out a week obviously Jack played that week and then there was the following week the one thing that I guess leaves that door open, perhaps, is that they have an extra day here. Yeah. They, they played on Friday. I could see him getting cleared. I mean, it often will happen seven days later, and he could even get cleared on Friday. It's and possible, and that's, yeah. that's where, you know, if you were, you're, you're in a, maybe a bit of a dilemma. You know, what direction do yeah. you go in? The, the, the kid that played well, 
And, you know, he, he knows the playbook, right. right? Matt Fink knows what he's doing. And he would have prepared that entire week for Washington. Not just getting reps, not just being out in the field, but he's actually preparing for Washington actively, where Keegan would have to do it passively for the whole week. Right. In theory, if, if he were not cleared until Friday. Yeah. In that scenario, what, what would you do? If both of them are available. Yeah, but but again, uh, it, I'm, I'm saying if Keenan is not cleared till later in the week and I've, doesn't really practice. Right. I think a big part of that decision would be how Matt Fink looks in practice this week in his first time practicing as the number one yeah. for a week. But that hasn't happened before. Right. Good point. This is going to be the first time that he gets those first team reps for a whole week going yeah. into a big game and going into any game. Yeah. And so... I personally haven't been the biggest fan of Fink for a long time, as long as I've watched him in training camp. But, you know, if he does show, you know, a little more poise, a little more of a calmness, ability to stay in the pocket and make some of the more... I don't need, not me, but we don't need overall for Fink to be making all the throws that we know that Slovis can make. Slovis has the ability to make some really crazy throws, and I don't think Fink has that touch in him. Well, I'm going to add on that. I don't think you want Fink making all the throws that he made just last week. No, no, I, I would not want <laughs> right, that, no. I mean, we've already talked about it. He got away with some stuff. He got away with a lot of but stuff. But just going downfield and chucking it, and it was fun, and it, it worked out. <laughs> but, right. but that is not the way that I would expect they would want him to play Against Washington this game. secondary. Yeah, no. and not on the road. I don't think they're going to play it that way. I think no. they play it much differently with him. I th- Also, I think the general game plan for this game probably will be to run it a lot more than they did last week. Yeah. Utah's run defense was really good, and you saw that in the game, and yeah. we thought that before the game, too. Washington is a little more vulnerable on the ground. They're not giving up a ton of yards. I think it's 118 per game, but the competition they've faced hasn't been great. But Cal, in their victory, did put up 180 or 190 on the ground. And Yeah, and it's not a prolific Cal-Russian attack, no. but it's what they're good at comparatively. You know, They're not a right. good passing team. That's how they're going to try to beat you, which is surprising that they would be able to kind of be that effective when Washington knew that they couldn't throw the ball. Right. And this year, Washington's lacking a little bit of the talent in their front seven that they've mm-hmm. had for a couple of years. Guys like Ben Berkriven, um, Vitavea from a couple of years ago. They've they lost everywhere. I mean, yeah. they, they have a lot of guys in the league right now. Yeah. They, I mean, even in the backfield, too, they don't right. have their, their talent kick, but they're not as experienced. No, there's not a Sidney Jones or right. anyone like that there Buda right Baker. now. Yeah. But still, their front seven especially, I think, is significantly weaker than it has been before. And I think this is a team that you can run the ball on. Yeah, yeah. I, logic suggests that you, you run heavy, right? Yeah. And, and maybe it's more of a 50-50 split. I don't think you become a whole different team in yeah. this game. No, you don't become the Seahawks. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought them up. Uh, but... With BYU, like within that game, they kind of became a different. They tried to become a different team within that game, yeah. in the BYU game, and and the, the pendulum swung too far. I felt like I think with Washington, you're just going to approach it probably differently, you know, more moderately. Where we're going to see what we can do, but we are committed to running a bit more than we were against Utah. Right, uh, but. Uh, like I said, you're gonna you're gonna throw the ball differently. I don't think you can just attack downfield the way that they did. Uh, I, again, I'm I'm still surprised even a few days later now that it was that effective. Yeah. Uh, I, I I mean I'm fully aware of the USC wide receivers who are not especially fast, but they win 50-50s. Yeah. And Fink was, I guess, the perfect fit where he was giving them that chance. In right. fact, I thought about how if Keegan had played, I mean, I, I, I would believe in, in him playing well. Uh, I think I think USC's, like, they, they saw stuff on film. Because if yeah. you remember, right before that game, Clay's like, I'm expecting Keegan to have a great game. Right. So I think they believed that they were going to win through the air. But I think they would have done it much differently with Keegan. The big thing there for me, which shocked me about Utah's game plan, especially from a coach like Whittingham, who is a scary coach to play against, who schemes his defense very well usually, Utah opted not to play the zone, the cover three zone that BYU used so effectively right. against USC. Right. Utah played a press man blitz, like with frequent blitzes, which left a lot of one-on-ones or cover ones with a single safety and yeah. man coverage underneath. 
which is what USC was able to explain. Utah didn't switch out of that coverage almost the entire game, surprisingly enough. Yeah. No, I, I mean, and, they were feasting on it. I mean, right. I'm sure that they were thrilled because yeah. Fink was ready to get the ball out, and he did. And like we mentioned, I mean, he, you, you got the catch radius for Pittman yeah. and Vaughn, you know, on the outside, especially. St. Brown did, you know, more of his work, you know, in the yeah. middle of the field. But, the touchdown was the one play from him that I sure. was thinking of that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the way that the way that those receivers can win mm-hmm. on the perimeter, I I don't get what Utah was doing, and that's why I'm, I'm assuming that Washington not that they're going to cover them like BYU did, but they're going to play it differently. Yeah, that's the other thing that I've been worried about for USC going into this game. UW uses a cover three slash two zone; they alternate back and forth, but they play zones, and DB coach Jimmy Lake has a big role there. Yeah. And choosing the coverages they play, which a lot of DB coaches don't have that kind of leverage. Mm-hmm. But Jimmy Lake loves to disguise coverages a lot like the way BYU did. They love to run a cover two look and then drop into cover three or switch the other way, have everyone up in press, and then mm-hmm. drop them back in coverage. And those things were really problematic for Keaton against right. BYU. Right. And Jimmy Lake and Washington are going to turn that up even more. Yeah. And so I don't know exactly about Fink's ability to play against that same kind of defense. Because we saw Keaton tear it up the week before against Stanford, who also played a lot of straight man. And then against BYU, the transition posed some difficulty for him, yeah. adjusting. And Fink again tore it up last week against a press man defense. And no, good point. We have to learn that about Fink. He hasn't dealt with that post-snap change. Right. You know, and, and Keaton had a hard time with it You know, uh, over in Provo. And, uh, and again, we're... Right now, we're, we're figuring that Fink will play, and Utah didn't really do that with him. They kind of showed their cards. Yeah. And they were, they were confident that, that they could win, and they just didn't. That's my other thing with the Utah game that kind of frightens me a little bit about putting as much weight on Fink's shoulders going forward as a lot of people have seemed to be willing to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of those plays, even though Utah wasn't press man, and which is an advantageous situation when you're playing against someone like Pittman, they still had two guys in good position on a lot of the big catches that were made throughout the day. Pittman said, Oh, yeah, they got long judging. Yeah. The, safe, should, the safety had a clean angle on that ball. That should have been. Yeah. The or at least broken up. Yeah. pretty. It should have been pretty easy. That was a badly misjudged ball. The touchdown to Amon Ra after escaping. There were two defenders there. That should have been broken up pretty easily. They both misread the ball again. Yeah. And another deep ball to Pittman was the same thing. The only ball from the only deep ball from Fink that truly like impressed me all the way through was the fourth quarter deep ball down the sideline to Pittman. Okay, that one. He had the early one to Vaughn's too. Yeah, the fade. Yeah, the fade. That was. I'm gonna give him that one too. Yeah, yeah. You should give yeah. him that. One. Yeah, and no, I'll give him that. Those. <laughs> yeah, were nice. he makes some throws. Here's my thing with Fink, and this is something that we've seen for two, three years now. Yeah. He has not, He can throw a deep ball around thirty to forty yards. After 40 yards, his arm kind of gives out and he starts throwing ducks. Mm-hmm. On the, both the plays that we're talking about, the fourth quarter completion to Pittman and the touchdown to Vaughn's early, those were both, um, I think, 35-ish, 35 to 40. And the other throws, which had to go longer, any th- time that Fink had to throw the ball more than 41, 42 yards, they start floating on him and they fall short. Yeah. Well, and... Again, I would imagine that USC would prepare to beat Washington differently. I think you're going to see a lot more underneath, a lot more kind of crossers and you know intermediate throws, and that's not really where Fink is great. That's where Keaton's good. That's where you want Keaton. That's where you want JT. Yeah. And and uh, again, it it worked out wonderfully for USC in that Utah game. But uh, if Fink gets the call again, I think it it could play out much differently. Yeah. I think I agree with you completely on all of that. This could be a really – it has the potential to be a really ugly game for Fink. Like, all the factors that could lead to that are here. I think the best way to minimize that and, on the flip side, to maximize USC's passing offense would be to let Fink use his best trait, which is his mobility. Mobility, right? Get out of the pocket. You – Keaton does a fantastic job of working from the pocket, and the offensive line this year has been really good in pass protection. And Keaton's had a ton of time to sit there and look and move. I don't think that's Fink's game. You Fink right. doesn't click through reads one by one while right. he moves up and down in the pocket. Right. No. When Fink moves, Fink's going to roll. Yeah. So 
I think if you Which can, is fine. I think if you can put Fink on the perimeter, if you can get him to yeah. roll or do run some boots mm-hmm. and then run underneath UW zone coverage, mm-hmm. you can hit the five, six yard plays and then hope for yards after catch after, which I think is how you need to beat this team. Okay, well you can only do that if you run first. Yeah. You have to establish a running game and then do a little play action, right. maybe. You gotta make them defend that. Absolutely. And, and again, I'm I'm actually I hate being presumptuous with this team because they're so unpredictable. Yeah. And from week to week, we we don't know who will show up. But again, I'm I'm gonna I just believe right now that if Fink is your quarterback, that they're gonna run the ball more. They're gonna try to get that going early. And now the, the million dollar question is who are they gonna run with? Oh man. Uh, well, <laughs> well, in theory, you'd like to see an even dis- distribution, maybe, because I think when you want to run the ball profusely against a team, it's better to m- mix up the running styles that you want to employ against them. Yeah. Because, again, when you're a defense and you're preparing to play a guy like Stephen Carr, you know what he can do, you know that he's better on the perimeter, he's not good as an in-the-hole one-cut back. So when you see Stephen Carr in the backfield, you can align your defensive front a different way to adjust for that. Yeah. And when there's a back like Marquis Step, you adjust for that differently. If you alternate your backs, which they can, you have significantly different running styles. Yeah. It makes it a lot harder for defense when your game plan is to pound the ball. Now, yeah. Is that going to be USC's game plan? We don't know. They haven't done it yet, right? No. They, they haven't really alternated between three. They've kind of had like a two-man game. Uh, and versus BYU, all three of them did get involved. Right. But the way that I mean, Skep came like in, in bunches. Yeah. Uh, they they haven't like maximized. I feel like that group. And again, I've been very surprised that they've turned Vavai or they've leaned on him as like a twenty carry guy. Yeah. And, and I like Vavai. He's been productive. I, I want to use him. I want to play him. And I don't even mind him playing the most per se. Right. But. Not to where he's, he's getting two, three yeah. times more carries than your other guys. Right. Uh, in fact, I was surprised that, I guess, true to his word, Clay Helton benched Carr. Yeah. He had, he had the bad fumble, and he didn't play again. Yeah. After he had already had a couple catches in that game, and I think he's really valuable in that way, and I would definitely be using him, even if you're not going to hand off to him very much. Right. And he, he benched him, and then Skepton didn't play until the fourth quarter. He basically ran with Vavai for yeah. for three quarters. I, I don't get it. I, right. I mean, I'm not saying play seven running backs, right? No. This isn't like Pete Carroll circa 2006. But you could play three. Yeah. It's not that hard to play three running backs. Uh, I just feel like they need you. I mean, yeah. to me, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, look at what they did. I mean, they were in negative rushing for nearly the entire night, basically until they brought in Skep. Yeah. who earned some hard yards, and then Vivai finished it off on the final drive. But prior to that, they had negative rushing yards. Yeah. They were about to break the, the school record for futility in rushing. Yeah, and most of those carries, the negative carries, came from Stephen Carr, who I think finished with seven for negative 16. Right, and right? the fumble is what yeah. lost that you back. lost a chunk, yeah. too. But Carr doesn't run well up the middle against a packed front. That's just not what he does best. He's very good on the perimeter. He's very good catching passes. And, again, kind of just what you talked about, what I talked about, these backs have significantly different skill sets. And if you can use them at the right times and places, Mm -hmm. they have the opportunity. You are provided with the opportunity as an offense to really make things confusing for a defense. So one of the things that I was thinking about watching film of Washington before this game is something that we've seen USC use a little bit so far, but not very much of, is a two-back set. Because I think a two-back set would be ideal to run a lot in this game. For a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, two-back sets are really hard for zone coverage to play against. It's when you have one guy protecting, protecting and then leaking out, running routes from the backfield. It makes it a lot harder for a defense to cover that in zone. And additionally, that gives you the option to leave in more people to protect Fink, especially if you want to run the play-action rollout plays, which I think is the best play in the playbook for someone like Matt Fink where he doesn't have to throw the ball deep downfield, he doesn't have to make deep reads, he doesn't have to check through too many receivers. And if you have someone rolling with him after the fake handoff, it helps a lot if you have basically a lead blocker on your play action. 
passes. And you can run straight up read option plays that way too. Or even a triple option, which I don't think USC has. <laughs> but in theory. Okay, we talked about Fink being used just kind of, you know, rolling out maybe play action. What do you think about running him? I think they should do it. I think I don't think you can do it too much just because, you know, there's not many options left. If, right. If like, Fink gets hurt. Let's like say Keaton is ruled out. Yeah. Then what? Then I don't think you can afford to run Fink too much. Like or at all, basically. You can roll. You can give him again some play action rollouts and maybe give him the option to take him if he needs to go, but I don't think you can design runs for him if that's the case. Yeah, and and I figured that was probably why they weren't in that Utah game. Yeah. Given that you know Keating, they knew that he was out. We didn't know. We didn't really get an update on that until afterward. But uh, Keating came back in street clothes eventually, and it was evident that he wasn't going to play again that evening. You really would like to utilize that. Yeah, it's Fink's best trait. It's yeah. the thing that makes him unique. He's, yeah. he's a genuine, he's a really fast dude. And I don't think that you have to kind of junk the, the entire playbook, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to actually run you know, the triple option, right? You could maybe run a play. But, but just getting him on the go, I, I think that it's such a weapon. I mean, it's a real thing with him. Where if he were at maybe another school, right, in a different system, I think that like they would totally lean on that with yeah. him. Well, he would run probably pr- pretty frequently. Right, and he's again, really fast. Yeah, and you can start like again, move running in the backfield, you know, on a pass play, on a rollout or a boot, whatever it is. Even if it's not a play action play, you can have designed standard pass plays where the quarterback rolls out of the bucket. And again, against a zone defense like Washington's, I think that can work really well. Because when you have the threat of the quarterback taking the edge and just picking up the ball and running, zone defenders, especially in the middle hook zones, start creeping up because they have to start worrying about adjusting the quarterback. And if you're running crossing routes, which Harold likes to run, behind that, I can make a really easy one-read play for someone like Fink. All right, before we flip to the other side of the ball, give any final thoughts about USC's offense right now? Um, I think the one ta- the biggest takeaway from last game, even though I do think they should kind of move away from passing it as heavily and as deep as they did last game, you have to feed Michael Pittman. I Michael Pittman will win. I think many, not many. I'll rephrase that. Michael Pittman wins a lot more fifty-fifty balls than fifty-fifty. Yeah, he won. He Way won many more. in that game. He yeah. might not win them that frequently moving forward. Right. But but you're not going to pick off many balls. It's better than fifty-fifty right. with him, right? Yeah. The odds are actually better than fifty-fifty. No, Maybe he's one of the best contested catch makers in all of Yeah, and in fact, 50 50 is probably mislabeled because I don't think it's 50 50, generally speaking. Yeah. I think the receiver has the advantage. I think it's 60 40. With him right now, yeah. yeah. But ordinarily, I think it's even less than that. Uh, I, I, I do feel like that's what he's got right now in his like, maturation. Uh, he's primed for this moment, he's been waiting for it, he came back for it. And uh, he was probably underutilized earlier in the year. Yeah. And and the hard part is you can make that case now about Amon Ra. Yeah. And uh, you got to go to the ball to Tyler Vaughn. He's showing that you know that he he's earned every target he's getting to. And that's why you like to throw the ball because you got that. Yeah. And I don't know who else has that around the country. Right. Uh, but that's something that. I'm still kind of I haven't forgotten about I do feel like given the nature of that position there's always maybe a little bit of unrest right a yeah, little bit of drama targets, yeah, yeah. Uh, Amon Ra had an interesting comment after the Utah game where he, he first point he made was that you know yeah I I only had one catch last game, which is, you know, pretty rare for me. It never happened before. I mean, we weren't even really talking about it, but... Yeah, he decided yeah, to bring it up. Yeah, he, he wanted to tell us, you know, and we, we knew. I mean, I get it. Uh, I, at any given moment, I, I guess I go back and forth internally about who's better. And they're better at different things, yeah. but... I he, think overall, right now, I'd take Pittman. That's fine. Like, I don't, I don't have so much of an argument as, yeah. a, you know, a thought that... Not always. <laughs> you know, I, I think there are times where Amon Ra is the best player in the team. You know, and he can carry you that way, too. I mean, they both can. And, and that was Michael Pittman's night, and it was, 
you know, beautiful. But uh, I think ultimately, you you make a point about Pittman. I'm making sure I'm feeding both of them. I, yeah. I guess if I'm prioritizing people, um, it, for, for me, it's 1A and 1B with the two of them. And then from there, I'm looking at the running backs and I'm making sure that like we're committing to running the ball early in the game. Yeah. And get Marquis step in the game in the first quarter. Right? Yeah. I'm not saying you're going to give him yeah. 25 carries. I'm not telling you to do that. But you don't need to wait till the second half to, to actually use him. Right. Just to go back to the point about Amon Ra and Pittman, yeah. the reason that I say to lean on Pittman in this game okay. more than Amon Ra is because I think you're right. They're very close in terms of talent and skill set and how much they can produce. Yeah. But I think given who Matt Fink is, yeah. Pittman is a better target for him. Because, there's more margin for error. Right, there's more margin for error, and he has a well-developed chemistry with Pittman that we've yeah. seen in training camp for some time. The two of them are tight. They, they came in together. Yeah, and they, they know each other's games fairly well. Sure. Good point. Which is, and again, Pittman wins the the fifty fifty ball is his specialty, which is a lot of what Fink throws, whether he means to or not. <laughs> so, just for his skill set and what he, Washington's going to provide them, yeah, I think just going yeah. heavy on Pittman when he has to throw the ball is a good idea. Uh, or plays being designed for Pittman yeah, specifically. No, yeah, good point. The thing I, I mean, I, I wrote about this in my uh, my game story after, but I couldn't believe how often he went to him on third down. And how effective it was. They converted four third downs. And they, they were downfield, too. It wasn't yeah. cheapy. I mean, that, that touchdown came on a third and long. The, the long touchdown yeah. did. And, uh, and Pittman told us later. I, I can't remember if you were there or not. But Pittman revealed that, you know, that, that Fink was kind of almost telegraphing it. Like, hey, like, I'm... I'm I'm coming to you. He gave him a look. Yeah. And I asked, didn't Utah pick up on that? And he's like, yeah, I think they did, but they couldn't They couldn't stop it. Yeah, that's 70. Again, I'm, I, it feels like I'm really like getting on Fink's case, which I'm really not trying to do. But You're trying to be objective. Yeah, objectively, I think the 77-yard touchdown to Pittman was one of Fink's worst throws of the game. He was fortunate. He was very fortunate. That ball was very short. There were two defenders, both of whom had a really clear shot at picking that ball. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah he, I mean, he went for it. Like, Utah saw it. Yeah. Utah saw him, they went there, and for whatever reason, they couldn't do anything about it. But Yeah. And also a great play by Pittman, of course. Yeah. But. Okay. Defense. Yeah. What a... What what are your concerns for USC in this game? My number one concern by far is Hunter Bryant. Yeah. I You re- like him. I love Hunter Bryant. I in my opinion Hunter Bryant is one of the three best tight ends in college football right now and you can argue that he's the best. I think he's a future first round pick. He is a nightmare to defend from the tight end position and I think that's something that over the years we've seen USC struggle with defending tight ends especially against Stanford every year. And especially with the way that USC's linebackers have played in zone coverage, which USC has played really heavily so far this year, I'm, I'm not sure that I like that matchup at all for the Trojans. And Jacob Eason, at quarterback for Washington, has really started hitting his stride. Yeah. He's completing passes at a 73% clip. And again, that's not a great, against a great array of defenses. They, they played Cal. Yeah, and he struggled against Cal. Yeah. So to be fair, I will I will say that. But the throws and the mobility that um, he has, that Eason has, yeah. like you can see that he has the ability to make the throws that are really, really special. Like he's not like kind of like Slovis in that way, where against Stanford we saw him make really high difficulty throws and he put them where they needed to be. And there's few quarterbacks in college football who can put those play- balls in those places. And Eason can do that. <laughs> I've seen a lot of plays from him where he's shown that ability. Okay, well, we do have a... A proxy, if you will, for for this. Two weeks ago, they played Stanford. Kobe Parkinson, another animal. Now, he didn't have the quarterback throwing to him, no. right? He got, Davis Mills just wasn't there yet. In right. fact, he missed him a lot. In fact, that game could have been very different if he was maybe 10% more accurate. Yeah. But in that game, surprisingly, you, you found Parkinson a lot of man coverage. Yeah. I feel like USC kind of got away with it. Elijah Griffin played really well. Elijah Griffin did an excellent job. He did? Parkinson. Even though he's about half a yeah. foot shorter, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, maybe more. This week, now Elijah is coming off of injury. Uh, we're not quite sure what's up with Talanoa Hufunga. 
right? There, there's discussion out there about him uh, getting banged up in that Utah game and that going unreported. Like I, like I said, we're recording Tuesday afternoon. We'll, we'll know more soon. But what do you think they're going to do, or, and what would you do to, to deal with Hunter Bryant? That's a question that I've been thinking about for a while, and I don't have an answer because I it I doesn't feel like there's an answer on this roster that works very well. Because here's it's got to be by by committee. Yeah, on the outside, my the problem. Okay, my first impulse would be no matter what to get your best guy, your best coverage guy, and just put him on um, Hunter Bryant. You go Elijah. I normally I'm not a fan of when teams do this, but because of what I saw from Elijah against Stanford, the fact that he can cover tight ends, he yeah. can do that, which is not something most corners can do. And there's not the height discrepancy there. Yeah. I mean, Brian's big, but he, Brian's he's not, not exactly. He's not especially tall. He's not as tall as Parker. He's, six he's foot six two. two. Yeah. Brian's six two. He's not a tall tight end. He's a strong guy. Yeah. But. He's not a tall tight end, and I think Elijah would match up pretty well with him. So if you wanted to have him shadow him on paper, that would be fine. But the problem is, on the outside for Washington, they're not bereft at the receiver (laughs) position either. They have a guy in Aaron Fuller who's a burner. They have a pure speed guy outside, and USC... Again, who who do you want to put on him? Especially if Isaac Taylor Stewart is injured again. Coming yeah, yeah also coming up injury. Right, and you're they're also, a little banged up in that defensive backfield. They're really banged up, back and there. they don't have depth there. Right? right, I mean they they've been improving. It's right. a young unit, but if they're out or you know limited with a couple of these guys, it could be a long day. Yeah. So one thing that I was thinking about that coming into this game, maybe this is when we start seeing Max Williams play a little bit, just because you need to start rotating more guys. Cause you don't have enough, especially if Talanoa doesn't play and yeah. Isaac Taylor Stewart can. We don't know about Elijah, but if all three of those guys somehow end up banged up, that's a really bad position to be in. Yeah. But but what I was saying was Aaron Fuller on the outside is a legitimate speed guy. You need to cover him downfield. Mm. You need someone who right. can run with him deep, or you need to play a deep safety to that side, which USC doesn't really play a lot of two safety looks. They usually have one deep and the other come up. They alternate. But. So you really need IKS. That's not the guy that you want to throw skill on. Yeah, exactly. I Ideally, if you have Isaac Taylor Stewart, I'd stick him on Fuller. But US, also, USC doesn't like, so far from what we've seen at least, to swap their corners across side. They, they yeah, keep a left, left corner, corner back right and a right corner back. Yeah. Like a lot of NFL teams do, like sure. San Diego and Jacksonville. But they don't like alternating. Even with Biggie last year, they kept him to one yeah. side of the field a lot, even when there was a clear number one receiver on the other side. Yeah. And so, with that being said, the problem at hand for me, again, is Hunter Bryant, and I can't figure out how USC wants to cover him. I think USC doesn't end up playing a lot of man, which I can get. But if you play zone, you need to have people in the middle of the field who can cover and play, have a good feel for zone coverages, and USC's linebackers have not done a good job with that so far. Yeah, I I don't know that that's what they're built for. No. Right, I mean, EA's been really good. He had a nice game versus Utah. Yeah. Uh, and I think he can help, but that's not... His strong suit. No. I I don't know. I, I guess we haven't really seen him do that yet. One of the... One of my theories for... Not theories. Ideas for how they can go about this is to run more nickel okay. throughout this game. Yeah. And have... Greg Johnson as maligned as he's been throughout this year. I think he's most serviceable in zone coverage. I think that's where he's best. He's definitely much better there than he is in man coverage. And his problem is quickness and speed. You know, he's he's a physical guy. He can play the ball when it's there and yeah, he sees yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's not very good at sticking with guys down the field or covering cuts. Yeah. So Hunter Bryant actually gives him someone who physically matches up fairly well with him. Yeah, he's yeah. not too tall. He's not gonna. Uh, out, he's not gonna just lose him. Right. Hunter Bryant runs good routes. Yeah. And he's really strong, and he's excellent at making contested catches. That's his best trait. Mm-hmm. So if you want to maybe run a zone coverage with a nickel for most yeah. of your passing yeah, yeah. downs, that maybe is the best way to go about this. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of good options that I can find still. It sounds like you think for USC and their defense, this is where the game will be won, essentially, is how well they can cover. Yeah, I'll say that. How well they can cover collectively across the board. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's the biggest X factor in this game. 
Now, what about making Easton uncomfortable, getting him off his platform? How do you feel about USC's defensive front versus Washington line? That's a big thing. And USC's defensive front has been, was at least through the first three games, the most frustrating part of the team for me to watch. <laughs> or second most. The linebackers were worse. But yeah, they didn't get any pressure. And when they did, they couldn't finish. Yeah. But yeah, they no, got pressure. Finish, they, I thought they got pressure. They just didn't finish. There, I would. I'm more just, often than not. I think a lot, way more plays than should have been the case. USC really just did not collapse the pocket at all, and there were plays against BYU where Wilson had all day to wait and sit back, yeah. and look, and yeah. then run five well, more times. Yeah, and the mobility of, of him and of Garcia mm-hmm. in the opener. Yeah, uh, I, I think that. I mean, that's always been a problem for them. And even last week, even though they did, the defensive line really did play much better last week. But even then, yeah, against um, Utah. Yeah, I mean, Huntley was still efficient. Yeah. Even though I know it didn't look like he had a great game, and he was all right, but uh, he was efficient. With Easton, it's a different kind of quarterback. Right. And which I think is usually Clancy keys off on quarterbacks like this. Yes. We've exactly. seen that in the past where if, even if you're a good pocket quarterback, yeah. he's comfortable. He, and he's kind of prepared to, to take you out of that. Right. And a lot of the issue for USC I, the, on the interior, I thought the penetration has been fine. Marlon Tuipiloto especially has been playing really well this year. And I feel yeah. like that's been one of the most underlooked parts of this USC yeah. team so far, but I think the edges were where USC was having trouble generating pressure, and last week, out of nowhere, there was an explosion of pressure off the edge. Drake Jackson has been good, but he vanishes for stretches at a time, and last week, I think, was maybe his best game. He consistently got around the edge. Yeah. Hunter Eccles has been really good as a speed rusher and generating pressure. He's been very bad at finishing, but he's generated a lot of pressure off yeah. the edge. Christian Rector had a good game after missing the previous week. Do you think they need to use Eccles more? I mean, he, he seems to kind of be almost in a package. Yeah. He, he's not I, a regular player. I'm one of the few people, I think, that's on the Eccles hype train. I think he genuinely changes a lot of players. Like, he's disruptive, right? He's, re- he's Even a if, really if not good always sp- effective. Yeah, he... As a speed rusher, he's their best pure speed rusher. Drake Jackson is more of a you know hand in the ground yeah, lineman power. who can even you can probably move Drake Jackson inside on third downs and he can play from there. Yeah, but Eccles is probably the best speed rusher on this roster, and he knows how to do that. So do you? I guess do you anticipate that they would go more three four, which is where we see more Eccles right. rather than the four three? I would think so. Yeah, you can run a three four and have Jackson and Rector both playing in the four gap or not the four gap in the uh, lined up between the guard and the tackle with whoever inside Marlon Tuipiloto or Peely and then throw Eccles off the edge alright well I'm going to put you on the spot here before we uh, get off this game what ultimately do you think happens how, how does it play out for you I think it'll be fairly close I think Washington wins by 10 that's my prediction. Can but in a, in a competitive way. Yeah. You're saying. Yeah, I don't think it'll be just like I said with Utah last week. I don't think this will be a runaway team. Like game. a thirty twenty. Yeah, something like that. Thirty five twenty five maybe. I'll I give the USC offense. Twenty five. I, I give the score. USC offense like a fair <laughs> chance to score some points in this game. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to know. I mean, it should be off the board until you know who the quarterback is. Right. Uh, even though Fink played really well, uh, and, and people, I mean. Were you surprised that Washington was an eight and a half point favorite? Um, That's high. Yeah, it is a little. That's a little high. high. I mean, it's a little high. It's an overreaction to them demolishing BYU. Right, and home home in Seattle does matter. Yeah, it is. That's a tough place to play. Yeah, and Fink again as an unknown quantity more or less going into this game. Yeah, when I saw that line, I actually thought about him, and I thought, do they already know? (laughs) Because. I think it's a fair guess to make from everyone at this point that most likely he probably will be the guy. Playing. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that that feels high to me. Even though I can see what you're saying about Washington maybe pulling away, winning by ten, but for them to be favored by eight and a half. Where would you have put the line? I mean, no higher than six. Yeah, six was what I was thinking. Yeah. Eight, eight and a half does feel a little bit high to me, but it. I get it. I mean, given the way USC beat Utah with its third-string quarterback, I probably would have started it at, like, maybe four, and I thought it maybe would move up to to about six. Right. Right? But 
to, to start at eight to and a half. To open it at eight and a half. Yeah. It's a little high. I thought that was kind of, uh, you know, it, it, could, it could slide at USC. Yeah. But their road record uh, tells you that it, it's not. I mean, yeah. they're, they're not the they're same team. They're not a team. great road team, no. No, they, they haven't been for, for some time. Yeah. Uh, they really weren't even in Donald's final year. No. Right? Where, I mean, not. yeah, they, they finished above 500 because they were going to with him. But, you know, that, that is where they lost to Wazoo and they lost to Notre Dame, blown out, and, uh, and blown out by Ohio State. Yeah. But when they leave the Coliseum, they're, they're different. And I, we've asked the players, and they can't really point at it. They, yeah, they can't. Yeah. They can't explain what's going on, and uh, not. That I would expect them to have that all figured out, but Clay's got to figure that out. Yeah, he really does. I. The, this game, obviously, the last time I remember playing at Washington is the game in Sam Darnold's first year starting. Right when. Kind of a wow. national coming out party for that him, That feels I think. like such a long time ago because I remember Daniel Imaterbebe scoring a touchdown. Yeah? What a time. <laughs> um, but anyways, so it's a tough place to play, and USC isn't good on the road, as you said. Yeah. Now, this year, I don't, I, we don't know who the quarterback is, and honestly, I can't really... Do we know who USC is? I mean... I, no, I don't, I don't think we do. I couldn't have predicted the way that Stanford game played out. No. The way the BYU game played or out. Or Utah. Or last week. Every every week you can point to something that you can say. Almost everyone agreed that this wouldn't happen. Yeah. Fresno State, I guess, was the, the most normal game in a way. And I mean, they lost JT early, and yeah. that was shocking, of course. Yeah. But I could see them kind of being rusty and sloppy. And, yeah. and you didn't know if Fresno State was, you know, are, are they like a, a bowl team? Yeah. Are they like a four-win team? Because right. last know. year's Fresno State was a really good team. They were maybe the best team in California. Yeah, uh, You knew that they probably weren't that, but no. they weren't going to just roll over. So exactly. that's the only game that kind of feels a bit... Went accordingly to plan. Normal, yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, against Utah last week, no one expected Fink to have the day. No! <laughs> and no one expected the pass rush to play the way it did after being really non-existent for a couple of weeks right. against a Utah offensive line that hadn't given up a sack yeah. to that point. Good point. And then suddenly they appeared out of nowhere against BYU. People didn't expect Keaton to throw three picks at BYU. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, we're, we're kind of we're assuming that they're going to be something in between maybe that BYU team and the Utah team, right? What do you mean? That's what I, the, the USC that we're gonna get this upcoming weekend. I feel yeah. like it, they're gonna they're gonna play Washington better than they played BYU. Yeah. I'm thinking, but not as well as they played Utah. Yeah, which will make it hard to win. That's that's a fair way to put it. I think they'll be in it. I expect them to be in it. I think that they'll have a chance to win. Uh, and I'm 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 saying that expecting that Fink will play. My biggest positive for USC going into this game is, like I said earlier, I don't think Washington's front seven this year is very intimidating. And if USC can, A, buy time for Fink, and if Fink can work with that time, if he can make things happen from there, that can produce a lot. And also if they run the ball a lot. And they run the ball well. Which I think are is on the table for them. Okay, real quickly here. If Keegan were available, what would, what would be your feeling for the whole game? I'd feel like... I'd, this might be overly optimistic, but I'd call it a toss-up if Keaton yeah, okay. was playing. I'm again. I'm, You'd be willing to pick them, get maybe win. Yeah, I think Keaton. I really like Keaton, as I've stated before. Yeah. I think he has all of it that you need to be a starting quarterback. And his issue against BYU, I think he played a pretty good game against BYU, except you know a handful of plays that were very bad. And all of those plays were against the zone coverage, which I just talked about Washington doing just as well, if not better, than BYU. But my gun- but they're not going to drop eight, though. No, they won't drop eight. But even if they don't drop eight, they do like disguising yeah, the zone yeah. coverages, yeah. which they run a lot of. And you know, I think Keaton, this is just me guessing, I feel like he would have learned fairly well. I the, the difference I saw in Keaton from when he played against Fresno State to Stanford even after the Fresno game, I actually did a write-up on how Keaton played against Fresno, and I thought, okay, I think he has it, and I think he can ball out next week. That's what I said. 
But with that being said, if you look at the difference in his tape against Stanford and Fresno State, there are parts of his game that within the span of that one week that he changed significantly. The first game, he missed running back checkdowns many times, opting to go deeper. Yeah. But against Stanford, he didn't hesitate to take the checkdown when he, he needed cut, to. He, he, he went back, he reverted to that, though, versus BYU. Yeah, he did. Oddly enough. BYU, I think, freaked him out a little yeah. bit again with the dropping eight and the cover three. And I think he would have learned fairly. I think he can learn. Yeah. He seems like that kind of guy to me. Yeah. And even in the BYU game, he had, for the most part, he didn't throw a lot in the third quarter at all. But later in the game, when he did start throwing again, for the most part, he seemed significantly better suited for it. Yeah. Obviously, the pick at the end was what it was. But. The, the game experience is invaluable. Uh, when people talk about playing and, and how important it is to your maturation, it's not merely like your nerves or your, your poise. I mean, that, that's part of it for sure, right. especially for a young kid. But I think even more important is just being more defense. Right. The more that you know, the more that you can read, the more that you can detect, right. the more that you can anticipate. And, and those are things that Keaton was you know, barely able to do in start one, start two. Right. And, and he's really what he's played two and a half games now. Exactly. So it's still very little. And yet Fink, who... I mean, he's been in the program a long time and, and probably like watched a lot and observed a lot, but he's now played about a game and a half. Yeah, he hasn't played. He's played less than, less than, than Keaton has. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And there's a lot to be said. Like you're exactly right. A lot of it's a little thing. Just when you're under center or in the shotgun and you're standing behind your offensive line, the speed at which linebackers drop into different coverages, the way they tip off their movements by yeah. looking one way or another. When you start realizing that you can look people off. For when I look at a quarterback's development, one of the first, like big things that I try to see is do they understand how to look people off, and that takes a lot of time because you learn how defenses move and how players flow, and every single snap of game experience. Adds you're you're adding to that, that. right? Yeah. And and they have so little, and and that's ultimately why I'm leaning Washington. Yeah. Because of the inexperienced quarterback. Exactly. With, with really with either guy, even though I would too feel. More, more confident with Keaton. Keaton. Yeah, I, I kind of fall right in line with you. Where I feel like if he were playing, and especially if he weren't coming off injury, I'd look at it closer to a toss up, maybe slight edge to Washington. Yeah. But right now, uh, I'm not, I'm not betting on it. Right, I'm not taking the money line for Washington, but I do expect them to win, and I can see them winning between you know by, by seven or ten points. Exactly. Now, one topic I do want to get into is Clay Hilton because I feel like he's on his ninth life. <laughs> or or yeah. he's, he's got nine for sure, and he's approaching that ninth one. How important do you suspect this game is for him and you know, his tenure as the USC football coach? Kind of like what I said about this question last week against Utah. I, depend, I think it depends on the way the game. It's not just that losing would be bad or that winning would be good. It depends on the way that happens. Yeah. Last week's win at Utah, although it was good, it didn't feel like a coaching masterclass by any means. Uh-huh. It, a lot of things that were up to chance went USC's way. Right. That worked out the way it yeah. did. But this week against Washington, he has... You're talking about the, the National Coach of the Week, by the way. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have thrown <laughs> that in there. Right. But No, I, I get you. I, you're right. right. The fact that Fink played, I think... It, He's going to get, uh, Helton will get an abundance of credit. Just for the mere fact that Fink played, that he played well, it's your third string guy. Right. And everyone knows that. Everyone knew that here's a veteran who had not played, right. and therefore, you know, he's behind talented players that are younger than him. But if he hasn't played yet, then you're not expecting much. Right. And he ended up having a big game, and therefore. Right. And with that being said, I, sh- I want to throw in this cave- yeah. caveat to what I've said earlier about Fink. Whatever I said about Fink. He came in with almost no game experience, and yeah. he threw for 300-whatever yards against Utah. 350, yeah. He, he yeah. proved both of us wrong. Yes, I, absolutely. I would never have expected him to do that. And the coaching staff also tried to deserve, gave him the opportunity to throw instead of taking the ball out of his hands. Yeah. So, credit there. Yeah, so, Graham Harrell's a big winner in all this. I feel like we haven't really talked about him. Yeah, but we haven't mentioned him today. The fact yeah. that they've now played three different quarterbacks, and they've, they've all produced. played at a high level, yeah. and they've won with each one. It's a good sign, yeah. But with that being said, this week for help, I don't think this week, I think last week mattered a lot more than this week. 
because this week things are a little more stabilized after having won last week the way they did. If they lose to Washington fairly reasonably, it'll be like, oh, they're on the road, they're playing Fink, all these things, yeah. and it kind of gets pushed off. But if they get blown out, that might change the conversation one way or another. And if yeah. they win, or win convincingly even... I don't know what that does for Helton's job security. Yeah. Now, I think your position is a very measured one and reasonable. My feeling, though, my hunch, is that he has to win this game to validate the last one. I think that if they were to go up to Seattle, regardless of who's playing quarterback, and they don't play well, I mean, I I feel like they just have to win, right? it's hard to, I guess, play well and lose. I know it can happen in this yeah. game because Washington is good, and they were probably a bit underrated, especially coming off the, the Cal loss. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that I personally picked to win the Pac-12. Right. Uh, I know that Utah was the, the favorite, but it wasn't like Washington was a walkover. Yeah. But if they don't beat Washington at the end of the day, I, I just feel like he, he needs to win almost every game. I, I I think the margin for error is so little because of that BYU game. I feel like had they beaten BYU, then maybe he could have gotten away with one of these losses yeah. here versus a, you know, a good Pac-12 team had it been you know, Utah or Washington or Oregon. But, but, he doesn't have that in his back pocket anymore. No. It's a whole game. I, I think he has to win. Yeah. And I think that it's a situation where a decision could be made. And it's what I thought about it, you know, about his status a week ago as well. That not that I would expect him to get tarmac. Yeah. I think that would be pretty harsh and yeah. pretty severe. But I do think that a decision could ultimately be made about him uh, privately and then executed at a later date. All right. The other reason that I'm a little hesitant to, you know, declare one way or another what might or might not happen to Helton yet is because USC hasn't hired an athletic director yet. And my gut tells me that they'd want to have that person in place before making a decision like that. That would make a lot of sense, but uh, we 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 don't know. Right. We we don't know. I mean, if you look at even the last hire, you know, Helton. That is, Hayden. I now have to think that someone knew that you know that people knew within that athletic department, within the administration, that his days were numbered. Because, I mean, while he was involved in making that hire, he was gone within half a year. Yeah. It's very odd the way that all played out, right. you know, especially after the fact when you look at it. In the, in the moment, it seemed like par for the course. But then, you know, for him to – why would he even make that hire then yeah. if he wasn't going to stick around for even the following season? It's, it's strange. It's yeah. hard to get a read on, like most things here. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you almost never know who's really calling the shots. Right. At USC, and there's a new president. Right. But, you know, and she's involved, but how hands on will she be in the entire process? I mean, I know that she will be and is with the athletic director, but I don't know that her concern is the head coach. I know that that's a top priority for her. It might or might not be. Just from the way that she's talked about the program, which isn't a lot, obviously, as school president, she hasn't yeah. given away a lot. From just the things I've heard about her and the way that she is, I think that she does recognize the importance of the football team to the school yeah. as being really central, and it feels like that is something that she's keeping a really close eye on. She knows that it's a hot topic. She knows right. that it's a very sensitive time, and for so sure. I, especially without her athletic director being in place, I They do have an interim. Right. But without the person that she wants for the job right. being in place, I don't think she'd want USC. Because she knows that the second that Helton's fired, everything's going to start swirling, and it'll be a yeah. huge media frenzy. And I don't know if she wants to dip her feet in those waters yet without having an athletic director. Yeah. And, and I, we'll ultimately learn if they were to make that move if if they've already been working on it. Right. Because they may, there are the rumors that, you know, <laughs> there are rumors out there that... <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which made Friday night fascinating. Yeah. I, I mean, I almost I, I felt bad for Clay going into the game. Yeah. Right. It was a weird kind of vibe where yeah, I mean like, Reggie's there and everyone's excited about him and he's Urban over there Lion, talking about yeah. you no know, t-shirts and national championships and everything and he's already been on the record about you know recruiting Urban Meyer yeah. and Urban's right there. It, it kind of felt like an ambush. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> 
and he walked out of there with a win. If if the optics he even of got that, a fight on from Irving. Yeah, the optics of that would have been supremely terrible for Clay Helton if they lost that game. Yeah, oh, I mean, that's why I thought that things could be in motion right then and there right. if they didn't win. Right, which is, I agreed with you so, at that point, too. But. I guess your, your point is that they're getting away from the Coliseum, they're getting out of L.A., right. and, and then, maybe it'll be a little bit quieter on the road. Having a hurt quarterback, weird as yeah, it is, helps him a it lot. Does. No matter what happens in this game, if he wins, he'll have done it with his third-stream quarterback. You're right. If but he even loses, if he doesn't, he'll, he'll like, okay, well, let's see what they yeah. do when they get Keaton back. Right. So yeah. I think, in a weird way, Keaton being hurt. They could protect him? Giving him a little bubble. Yeah. If it, again, that would, that would, that's assuming that they're going to be fair with him uh, week to week. Yeah. But if they're already leaning toward a change, and I would suspect that they are, then I think it's more bottom line for him, right? And, and again, it, for Clay, it might not feel fair. Yeah. But I feel like he has to win. Yeah. He, and it, it's not going to be an easy game to win. It, it will be very hard. Uh, but it, it's probably a more important game for him than Notre Dame. Because even though, obviously, the, the tradition, the rivalry with Notre Dame is much greater, right now, Clay needs to get into the, the Pac-12 title game. Yeah. He's got to get into that game. Right. Like He has to be in that game. USC is... 2-0 in the, in the conference. They've not been 3-0 since 2006, but they're in prime position because they beat Utah. Yeah. Right? And they played Stanford, which might not be a good team this year, but it's nice to have that win on your belt. In your back pocket. Right. Yeah. Because you're not playing them in November where they could beat you later. Right. You, you're playing probably a few lesser teams in the back half of that schedule. Yeah. Uh, aside from Oregon, of course. So you've already taken down Utah, Stanford. If you can beat Washington, yeah, then you're probably in the the Pac-12 title game. Most likely, I can't guarantee you anything beyond that because you still have to win that game. It right. could be a rematch of Washington. I don't know, but the point is, you're probably in that game. Yeah. Whereas if, if you lose to Washington and you beat Notre Dame, well, that's cool, right? And the alumni will appreciate it, but. Uh, you might still fall short in winning the division. And, and ultimately, then you, you can't win the conference, you can't go to the Rose Bowl. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, final topic here. I thought we would touch upon it. Bryce Young, you might have heard, he decommitted. Right. So, I know you're a fan. Yeah. So, I guess, tell me, how, how much do you feel like this matters, uh, you know, on the field, off the field? What's your takeaway on the whole situation? So, to begin with, I really love Bryce Young as a prospect. He's my favorite kind of quarterback. I really like mobile quarterbacks. That's my brand. And Bryce Young is one of my favorite young mobile quarterbacks to come out of high school that I've seen in a while. Who would you liken him to? Who do you feel like, just stylistically, that's who he reminds you of when you're watching him play football? Justin Fields. Okay. At Ohio State right now. He reminds me a lot of Justin Fields, especially when he was coming out of high school. So he's really, he's mobile. Everyone knows that. He can move. That goes without saying. But what really makes him special is the fact that he retains his accuracy on the move, which even from a lot of highly rated mobile quarterbacks coming out of high school, you don't see. You see them roll and throw a bomb, and it'll get caught once in a while. But Bryce Young can actually hit precise throws in pockets at different depths on the field while he's moving, while he's escaping the pocket, which is a really, really special trait to have. And I, so, yeah, I think he's a really good prospect. Yeah. USC should definitely be bummed out that they're losing out on him. They are. <laughs> right. And with that being said, I don't think it's the biggest deal on the program's list of issues at the moment. From Bryce Young's perspective, even without getting to the worry about USC being unstable and all those things, just from a football perspective of am I going to play, am I not going to play, it makes sense to shy away from USC for Alabama at this point. Because at USC, you have Slovis or JT, in theory, either of them for the next three, two or three right. years. No, yeah, they have three years of eligibility yeah. beyond this year. So if you're Bryce Young, you're, and you're that good, when you have the chance to start somewhere like Alabama, your freshman year potentially, 
you going to do that, or do you want to sit at right. USC potentially for two years, not knowing, and then add to that what the program's uncertainty yeah. is like? I think a lot of people no, I, understand I yeah. all that. Uh, I think the hard part is why do it now? Why wait? Uh, it's something that's been rumored for a little while, not forever, but it, it's been in development for some time. But it, it looks really bad, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it, the optics are bad. It. it it reflects poorly on, on Helkin, even though uh, it's not his direct fault. It, it's more the fact that he's here. That yeah, I think what, what ultimately led to this. I, I think for Bryce, uh, it was a matter of, well, I really want to go to USC, but I don't actually know who I'd be playing for anymore. And I don't really know where the program is going. And I, I think that BYU lost really kind of was the, yeah. the final straw the for him. The straw that broke the Yeah, back. I mean, I, I think a lot of things happened. You know, I, I wrote about this as well, but from JT going down and that kind of shaking up the, the QB timeline, yeah. and you're hearing about this Keaton Slovis, who Bryce probably didn't know much Think about much or about, yeah. care much about, but you're hearing Harold talk about him, right? And that's getting to you. You're hearing that. Yeah. And then he plays. He plays really well, mm-hmm. and he looks like he is... A guy. Yeah, he's a guy. Yeah. And yeah, he matters, and he's their, their potential starter for the next several years, and, and you're going to walk in a year behind him. It's not like you're two, even two years apart, no. or you know, obviously three. You're you're a year apart. Right. You're one year apart. And get blanketed your whole career, almost possible. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's also different. I mean, I've been told that he can't believe that he could be on JT. That he's very confident, and that he believed he could come here and and take that job away from JT, even if JT had been a tier starter. That's fine. I, I appreciate that mentality. It's different though when you have to beat out two quarterbacks yeah. that are essentially returning starters, right? Which is what he would potentially walk into. It, it's still murky on the way things are going to play out right now because JT is not going to be here for spring, yeah. And we don't even know where he'll be at by training camp. There's a yeah. chance that he's still kind of working his way back in limited, which puts JT in a weird spot because Keaton could have really established himself by that point. Very and deep, if he's yeah. beginning the year 2020 as a starting quarterback and plays well in the early part of next year, then I don't know that JT ever sees the field here again right. either. So um, if you're Bryce, you're, you're kind of... Right. You're, it's you're a very dealing. understandable decision. Right. Yeah, yeah, I get it all. It, it's more the timing of it, I think, yeah. that that throws everything uh, awry for you know for the program right. uh, because they they can't just pick up another quarterback right now for the 2020 class. Right. Early signing day is less than three months away. Uh, they really put every egg in the Bryce Young basket, even though. The kid from St. John Bosco, who I just cannot pronounce his last name, but you know who I'm talking about, yep. DJ. I just call him ukulele, but I don't mean that in a, you know, derogatory in a derogatory right. manner. Uh, but he he wanted to come here, yeah, and and he would have happily committed here, and I, I think would have remained committed, but they like Bryce more. Yeah, and, that's and fine. I, I I would have too. Yeah, like what happened is unfortunate, but I don't think USC messed up by going for Bryce instead of taking well, the safer they, bet. They weren't going to get both of them at yeah. the end of the game. They just weren't. Now again, DJ wanted to come here as well. Yeah, and I think they could have maybe not shown all their cards so early with Bryce because right. I mean. TJ's not coming. Like I, that, yeah, he's not flipping here. Uh, I think the only way that they could make waves here and, and get the quarterback that they really want would be if they made that coaching change early and they announced a new hire. You know, even though that the, the next hire, let's like, say like Urban Meyer, right? Yeah. Hypothetically, yeah, like, he's not going to coach 2019 at USC. No. But if he were just on board. Then you have, I think, an outside shot at getting... Flipping someone. Yeah, flipping even Bryce. But, uh, again, that's all very unlikely to happen at this point. And and so USC is in a bit of a bind, I think. Not so much for for 2020, like for the actual season. Yeah. But, I mean, you still have Fink. You have JT coming back. You have Keaton Slovis. 
but you'd like to have another young quarterback. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I'm of the mind that you bring in a quarterback every year. Yeah, I think it's too important of a position to skip. And right now, right USC looks like they're down to one scholarship quarterback. Yeah. And and you know, they they brought in Keaton, right? I mean, it was good that they brought him yeah. in. Yeah. Because where would they be without, without him right him now? Without him right now. Right. Yeah. But Jack would probably still be here. Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, you you want to have you want to I mean they had four. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was good. Like I, it wasn't too many, but right now, currently like this week, they might only have one. It, it's a vulnerable position that you couldn't you couldn't expect, but you have to be prepared for. And that's why I feel like they're going to have to reach and they're going to have to bring in a 2020 quarterback no matter what, uh, even if they're not in love with him. Uh, I mean, they've been in this position before, and even you know the, the, cur- the current two quarterbacks that are, that are active, Keenan and, and Fink, were both three stars yeah. who were, were not their first choice in, you know, in their respective classes. And, and now they've proven very valuable, very important. And I feel like even if, if they go down that route, make sure that you bring in a 2020 quarterback. Right. One way or another. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Joshua. Yeah, it's nice talking to you again. Yeah, I think, I think we did it. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right, well, uh, that was another edition of Troy Stories. Thank you for listening. Be sure to uh, catch all my work at maidensports.io slash USC, which that URL actually, I'm being told, is changing within maybe the next 24 hours and therefore I'm going to have to update this but uh, you can really find my work through Sports Illustrated that is my new home and uh, I'm covering USC like I always have been and, uh, and I think you'll like it there's no paywall just a reminder there because I know I've been behind one for a long time and a lot of you have been listening for, for years but maybe not have been able to follow all my coverage but now you can see everything I'm doing. And uh, be sure to check out Kajwar as well. I appreciate him coming on again as my special guest. Uh, you can find a lot of his work at... Trojan Sports still. Yeah, Trojansports.com and the Daily Trojan. Yep. And you still got that internship. Still going. With the professor. Still not going to tell you just for fun. Yeah, it's weird, yeah. but you know we can keep it secret. All right. Later. All right, thank you. <laughs>